Welcome to a special episode of Impressions of America. We were planning on starting the first of our Ronald Reagan trilogy today, but in light of current events, we decided to push that back and instead talk about George Floyd, police brutality and murder, and the protests that have swept America and other countries too. I'm recording this a few hours ahead of the show, uh, where I, along with Toby and Vaughn, will be joined by an activist from Philadelphia to talk about all that's happening right now. I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting show and probably an emotional show today as well. Um, before the actual show starts, uh, though, I, I just have a, a few thoughts um, that I thought I'd um, <laughs> try my best to get out. It's very easy for white people and people of privilege to, to watch on from the sidelines during this and think, well, of course, I, I stand against the murder of the innocent and, you know, talk about uh, finding a peaceful resolution to all of this. Uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps they would then quote Martin Luther King and I have a dream. The fact is Martin Luther King had a disapproval rating of 75% in America in 1968 and was murdered that same year. It's important to remember some other words by Martin Luther King. The ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. What are the rest of us, these so-called good people, doing to help our brothers and sisters as they get murdered in the streets and in their homes by the very people supposedly, supposedly sworn to protect them? What are we doing to enact change in this system? This system is not broken. This system is working as designed. That's the challenge we face. George Floyd died not only because of the actions of police officer Derek Chauvin, but because of the purposeful inaction of his fellow officers, J. Alexander Quang, Thomas Lane, and Tu Thao. Those four men have been arrested and charged for their crimes, and we can only hope they are convicted. But look what it took for that to be achieved. Look at the protests that were required and the sacrifice of even more blood to be spilled. And look at the vast numbers of black people who have died or been seriously injured as a result of the police. David McAtee, Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile, Jonathan Farrell, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Freddie Gray. All of them black, all of them died at the hands of the police. They are but a handful of names, the real list is too long. The real list does not exist, because there is a structure in place to shelter those responsible and hide the truth. For every George Floyd where arrests are made, how many more are there like Matrice Richardson, where we may never get answers, let alone justice? We are living through historic times. If you're an American, please vote in November. Please vote because even a poor alternative like Joe Biden is better than a racist dictator like Donald Trump. Vote out people at all levels of government who stand with the oppressors, who are the oppressors. But this goes beyond the ballot box. We must protest, we must demand more of those in power, and we must demand more of ourselves and each other. We must listen to black people and those being oppressed. Black lives matter. The following clip comes from 2016, where nine-year-old Zayana Oliphant beautifully spoke against police brutality after the 2016 fatal police shooting 
of Keith Lamont Scott in Charlotte, North Carolina. No child should have to stand up for their right to live. We are failing her and millions like her. I come here today to talk about how I feel. And I feel like that we are treated differently than other people. And I don't like how we're treated. And just because of our color doesn't mean anything to me. I believe that. You're doing great. You're doing a great job. We are black people and we shouldn't have to feel like this. We shouldn't have to protest because y'all are treating us wrong. We do this because we need to and have rights. Welcome to a special episode of Impressions of America. Uh, first of all, a welcome to my co-hosts, Toby and Vaughn. Hi, guys. Hi, Simon. Hey, Simon. And a special welcome to our guest today, Rashid, an activist and writer from Philadelphia and co-host of the po- podcast, Girls Room. Hi, Rashid. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, today, we're going to be discussing George Floyd and the extraordinary events in America these past two weeks including the protests and activism uh, by those fighting against racism and police brutality and murder. Vaughn, you're going to kick us off today with a timeline of events for the past couple of weeks. Yes, thank you, Simon. Okay, so on the 25th of May, a black man by the name of George Floyd was arrested by police on suspicion of attempting to use a counterfeit $20 bill in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This nonviolent crime was met with one of the officers Derek Chauvin, kneeling on Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes while Floyd cried out for his mother and stated, I can't breathe. After six minutes of pressure on his neck, Floyd became unresponsive and died of asphyxia. The following day, 26th of May, the Minneapolis police chief announced that he had fired all four officers involved in the murder of George Floyd. But it wasn't until the 29th of May that a single arrest was made. The former officer who personally murdered George Floyd Derek Chauvin, was taken into custody and charged with third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. The other three former officers were not arrested until the 3rd of June, 10 days after their complicity. Meanwhile, from the 26th of May until today, 
protests began to break out in Minneapolis, then in cities across the country. Charlotte, where Ziana Oliphant gave her speech in 2016. New York, Denver, Phoenix, Columbus, Louisville, where emergency medical technician Breonna Taylor was murdered in her bed by police this past March. Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and more. Then across the world, London, Melbourne, Berlin, Paris, Auckland, Mexico City, a mural of George Floyd was also painted in Benish, Syria. These largely peaceful protests have been rife with complications. Looting has reported to have been started by police and white supremacist organizations infiltrating the peaceful protests, prompting some governors, including George, or, I'm sorry, including Governor Tim Waltz of Minnesota to mobilize the National Guard and an onslaught of hate speech condemning the protesters from right-wing media, politicians, and the president himself. More news surfaced of former police officer and murderer Derek Chauvin's troubled disciplinary record of various abuses of power with zero disciplinary, disciplinary measures taken against him. As CNN crew and correspondents were assaulted and arrested, including famously Omar Jimenez reporting live from Minneapolis on 29th May. On the same day, President Trump tweeted after relative uncharacteristic silence, quoting three-time failed presidential candidate of the 1960s and former governor of Alabama, George Wallace, in saying, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Trump also began denouncing Democratic responses to the protests and delivering ultimatums to mayors that if they could not control their protests, he would send the military in to quell the, quote, thugs before moving to the underground bunker when protests in DC threatened the White House. In response, even more cities backed the movement and mayors began issuing curfews as clashes between protesters and police became increasingly violent. Thousands of protesters have been arrested, pepper sprayed, physically struck by officers, trapped in inescapable routes and subject to even more brutal situations during these largely peaceful protests. On June 1st, two autopsies conducted by a government agency and a doctor working for the Floyd family declared his death a homicide. The latter independent autopsy differs from the autopsy of the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, which highlights possible drugs in Floyd's body at the time of death and heart disease as contributing factors to his homicide. This same day, Trump again threatened to deploy the military to states where governors and mayors could not control the violence and looting. In his address from the White House Rose Garden, Trump attempts a reassuring statement in saying, I am your law and order president, echoing former presidents Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan, while shots and explosions of gas canisters can be heard behind him. These shots and canisters were being fired at a group of peaceful protesters in Lafayette Square, where Trump proceeded to after his address for a photo opportunity with a Bible at St. John's Church. This intended message of peace was denounced across the country and world as the world bore witness to the human rights violations committed so that he could take a photo outside of a church in which he never stepped foot that day. Former United States Secretary of Defense James Mattis expressed his concern that Trump is a danger to the Constitution because of this heinous act, a sentiment which was backed last night by former Chief of Staff John Kelly. 
On June 2nd, Joe Biden gave his first in-person public address in months in Philadelphia, where the Pennsylvania primary was underway. Biden condemned Trump for his actions, leading to his ultimate securing of the Democratic nomination last night. Again, finally on the 3rd of June, as a direct result of cities and countries worldwide taking a stand against police brutality, loudly proclaiming that Black Lives Matter, the other three former officers were arrested. On the 4th of June, George Floyd was memorialized in a service at North Central University in Minnesota, the first of several memorials for Floyd continuing today, the 6th of June in North Carolina, and Monday in Houston, where his body will be laid to rest the following day. Also on the 4th of, of June, the three former officers complicit in the murder appeared in court for their arraignment with bail set at $1 million. Yesterday, on June 5th, President Trump gave a speech on job numbers and said that hopefully Georgia's smiling down on the country as it's a great day for equality. While protests against police brutality persist, the COVID-19 pandemic rages on and over 40 million Americans are unemployed. Concurrently, Mayor Muriel Bowser of DC took a firm stand against Donald Trump by authorizing the painting of a massive banner reading Black Lives Matter, stretching two blocks of 16th Street, leading directly to the White House and officially renaming the street Black Lives Matter Plaza. Also on June 5th, Breonna Taylor was remembered for what would have been her 27th birthday, 83 days after she was murdered by police. I wanna finish this timeline by giving attention to some of the men and women who have been victims of brutality in the last week of protests against police brutality. Calvin L. Horton Jr., 43, Minnesota. James Scurlock, 22, Nebraska. Chris Beatty, 38, Indiana. Dorian Murrell, 18, Indiana. Italia Kelly, 22, Iowa. And David McCaddy, 53, Kentucky. Rashid, I'll start by simply asking for some of your thoughts on the events of the past two weeks and what life is like for you right now. Um, so right now, I think for not just me, but a lot of Black Americans, um, we're getting a lot of that question specifically. Um, so... I would say when we get that question, um, again, this isn't like, you know, attacking you for asking, because I, I get it. It's like, you know, something that you ask. Um, it kind of like brings up all the different feelings, not just from last week or two weeks ago, but then also back to 20, 2012 when um, our first, you know, official quote unquote Black Lives Matter martyr was killed, who was Trayvon Martin. Um, and then there's no way with this situation with George Floyd, can you not remember um, Eric Garner, because essentially it's like, you know, seeing the past in the present, um, not even a decade after, um, all within a decade. So it kind of, at times you feel defeated, um, but I myself and other organizers that I know are super tired because we're up. Um, you know, Gracie will tell you I'm up at about maybe seven o'clock updating and posting and letting people know what's going on in the streets from um, my different sources. And I probably don't go to sleep until about maybe three to four o'clock in the morning. So life for me right now is kind of exhausting. Um, but I'm not going to say I'm not optimistic because again, though, though things go slow, I'm kind of patient. I'm a little bit more patient than other people. 
Um, but I could absolutely see why everybody else is out of patience. What has the reaction been in Philadelphia to this, both from the community and from the local and state government? Oh, um, so Philadelphia actually, right now, we've been having um, a week of action. So actually, the black, there's a black collective here in Philadelphia, basically made up of all the different black organizations that kind of lead different groups. So um, Black Lives Matter Philly, the Black and Brown Workers um, Collective, um, and those are just two to name, but a few others. Um, they actually just put together a statement because for the last week, since last Saturday, we've been doing different um, protests, different calls to actions, emailing people, just different types of things. And they, you know, the Black Collective just put out a statement letting, you know, the city government know that these actions will not let up until their demands are met. Um, I can read the demands. I would just have to pull them up really quickly if you guys are okay with that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so it's, yes, it's called the Black Philly Radical Collective. Um, so they released this list of, of demands um, on June 4th. Um, yes, yeah, so June 4th. This was put up one day ago. Um, so the list of demands, I'm going to keep it really, I'm going to keep it really short. Um, but they want no, the first thing they want is no to the, the Philadelphia Police Department budget increase. That's one of the biggest things we're fighting for because, again, police brutality um, is... Actually, probably the biggest stance that we have, uh, you know, against the city right now. Philadelphia is no stranger to police brutality. Back in the 70s, Frank Rizzo terrorized mm -hmm. black folks and people of color. Um, so, yeah, again, we're no, and, you know, we just got the statue removed earlier this week. So that was a win for Philadelphia. Um, the second thing that we have, I mean, the second thing that they have on here is immediately cis cease the criminalization of black resistance. The third thing they have is immediately and permanently remove all symbols of state violence. So again, with that with that Frank Rizzo um, statue removal, um, in the military yeah, in the military occupation of the black community. Um, so we've had the National Guard here, um, and the National Guard isn't just downtown. They've occupied all of the black neighborhoods in Philadelphia, West Philly, um, South some parts of South Philly, some parts of Germantown. Um, but I can promise you that you won't find them in places like Rittenhouse Square, you won't find them in places like Chestnut Hill, and you won't find them in places like Society Hill. Um, also, protection for Black Philadelphia. Um, the end to carceral systems. Fund communities and not cops. Immediate permanent release of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, Major Tillery. Arthur Johnson, Russell Schatz, Schwartz, I'm sorry, I don't really know his name, Omar Asika, Jojo Bowen, and then all black political prisoners. The next thing we have is the swift firing of all killer cops in community response. They want to also abolish the Fraternal Order of Police and the Police Advisory Committee, and also the immediate release of all individuals in prison, disband all private police all private police departments, and then also we want economic justice now. Um, and all these signatures come from Philly for Real Justice, Black Lives Matter Philly, the, Alliance, the Black Alliance for Peace, the Black and Brown Workers Collective, the, Abol the Ab Abolitionist Law Center of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, the Human Rights Coalition of both Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, 
Um, Mike Africa Jr. of the move, um, you know, most notably of the move bombing. The mobilization for Mumia, the international family of friends of Mumia Abu-Jamal and the Malcolm X grassroots movement. Um, so those are the 13 different um, demands that they have for the city um, until we, you know, stop taking the streets and stop make, taking all these different actions. Um, and I think the second part of your question was, what was the, was the city's response? Was that correct? Yeah, so from the kind of the local and state government, what have you been seeing? Um, so again, the National Guard is there. The National Guard has been housed there for a few, I would say for maybe the past week as well. Um, we were, tier, you know, they have had tear gassing situations. Um, no, most notably, I believe this was on Sunday. There are actually photos from reporters, protesters, and just bystanders that all confirm um, after a peaceful protest on Sunday, the police allowed and actually blocked off traffic on 676. Um, and they actually allowed the protesters to go down onto the highway. And once they went down onto the highway, they then began attacking them with um, tear gas and trying to like, you know, they trapped them on the side where they couldn't get off and start, start tear gassing them there. Um, so it was a lot of terror. So right now there's a lot of like terroristic you, I guess you can say response to it. Um, they've elevated curfew and they've really been, you know, really hard on this curfew thing. Uh, but keep in mind, we've been on curfew, not just for this, but also for COVID. So they haven't been enforcing this until um, the reactions to the George Floyd deaths have happened. Um, so that has to tell you something about what their actual response to this is. Um. Absolutely, everything that you just said. Um, I want to come back to the COVID question in a moment, but um, for some of our listeners who don't know, um, Rashid and I were friends from college. We went to college together in Philadelphia, um, and we have a bit more under like a bit more context for historic Philly. Um, Rashid, would you want to expand on what the move bombing was, or do you want me to? Um, hmm. Let me, okay, how about you give your understanding of what the move bombing is, and if I have anything to correct, then I'll correct you. Okay, that sounds good. I feel like you may have a little bit more outline. I think you might have a little bit more structure to um, what it is right now than I can. Um, so, yeah, you touch on it, and then I'll just, you know, try to clear anything up. Right. So in 1985, um, there was an organization called MOVE, um, and they were a predominantly black grassroots movement um, advocating for a lot of a lot of black rights um, that the, the city weren't giving them. And they in my understanding, um, they did use some violent means of their protesting, but normally in response to police action in self-defense. And the, there, was, there were struggles between the MOVE organization and the um, legal authorities in Philadelphia. Um, particularly with the mayor, Mayor Street at the time, or sorry, Mayor Good at the time. And 
it culminated in Mayor Good condemning them as a terrorist organization and sending in um, a vast number of police and National Guard to open fire on the house that mm -hmm. the MOVE um, organizers were living in. And it turned into a battle situation on the streets of Philadelphia in a residential neighborhood. Um, police told them to vacate the premises and then were shooting um, people who tried to escape the house. And they ultimately dropped a bomb from a helicopter onto the home. And yep. 65, 61 buildings, homes, in residential townhomes, because that's how Philadelphia is set up. Every home is pretty much sharing a wall um, in normal city streets. Uh, 60, around 65 homes burned down in, in a, as a result of um, the mayor authorizing the dropping of a bomb yep. in a residential neighborhood. Um, so that's the context that Rashid is mentioning. Um, one of the one of the organizers that has signed for these um, demands is from the MOVE movement. Mm -hmm. And that is their, their history in Philadelphia. Yep. Um, so I think everything that Gracie said is pretty much on point. Um, only thing that I do want to point out is that th this was a very long over seven, eight year kind of tension between the organization mm -hmm. and the police. Um, they actually had a shootout before they had a shootout in, I believe it was 1978. Um, they can quote me if I'm, yeah, somebody, you know, whoever listens to this, um, you know, that's just like a harmless mistake, but I believe it was 1978. They had a shootout. Um, so a lot of their members were actually jailed, um, then because, um, yeah, a lot of their members were jailed then a, a police officer was shot. So once that happened, um, yeah, they were, you know, after the move family, um, let me also just throw in that the Moo family had a very different way of living. Um, so they were kind of like what people would call anarcho-primitism. So it's kind of like pushing away from new standards of living and kind of going back to that, um, non-industrial type living. Um, so they didn't have stoves. So I guess you could kind of like compare sort of like to the Amish, but you know, just a little more, um, radicalized than black. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was also this thing with that. So people didn't like that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why there was so much ten uh, attention around them, um, because they were just living very differently than what the norm was for people. And because people couldn't understand that they had their own way of living and they weren't hurting anybody, they were just different. So people actually brought attention to them as well. Um, so yeah, but everything that Gracie said is definitely um, accurate. And I do want to say it's 65. You were struggling between the 65 and 61. It was definitely 65. Yeah. yeah. Um, coming back to that question of COVID, um, obviously we're still in a pandemic at the moment. And um, for the last three months worldwide, people have been practicing social distancing, um, but in the last week, we've seen that social distancing hasn't really been a thing um, in during these protests. And I mean, rightfully so, in my opinion, because this is important and millions of people around the world have been showing up for these protests. Um, can you just talk to toward that point for um, for just 
contextualizing this this incredibly important civil rights movement that we're experiencing right now during a pandemic. So there's a lot of talk about the people around the um, country who have been looting and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that people have to remember that this is not just kind of, I guess you can say, a um, argument about Black lives. There are people who actually don't have any money. Um, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Millions have lost their jobs. Again, um, we started out telling the timeline about how Donald Trump said he just secured more jobs. I don't see it, but again, go off, girl. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, this isn't just a fight where it's like we're just saying we're being killed. We aren't being um, boarded right. We don't have um, good housing protection. We're being disrespected and being we're being disrespected and discarded in jail. People in jail in the um, county jails in Philadelphia have gotten cases of um, COVID like crazy, and nobody's addressing it. We actually have a lot of funds and a lot of collectives who were working towards getting prisoners out of you know um, you know prisoners out of the Philadelphia jails. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have good testing right. They don't have good testing in there. Um, and even here in Philadelphia, we have very few testing centers. There's about maybe one for every neighborhood. And if you're if you're privy to um, Philadelphia neighborhoods, they're big. So you could somebody could tell you that something is in your neighborhood and it could be at least a mile and a half to two miles away. Um, so it's like they're not giving people any real assistance here in this country. So it's like, how else are people supposed to react? Um, and I get it. Like a lot of properties have been damaged. Um, when I say properties, I mean small business properties. I'm not really concerned about Walgreens and Rite Aids of the world. Um, <laughs> um, I get it. But people have to understand that nothing like this that has happened is new. Um, we have had several riots, black riots specifically, um, everywhere from the 1950s to the 1990s, whether it be the L.A. riots or the riots for um, Dr. King's death, and the same circumstances have happened. And what happened, the community came together to build those um, small businesses back up, as they've been doing in Philadelphia. Um, so it's like, again, we're taking care of each other when we have nothing. And then the government wants to understand why we're mad at them and why we're doing these things. It's like we're making an example and also understand that when we loot from these properties and that when we um, say fuck the police and when we say our our streets, um, you know, these are our streets. We're talking about the hoods and the neighborhood hoods. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar. We just say hood because neighborhood is a lot. Um, <laughs> our hoods are <laughs> our hoods are ours. And a lot of times you don't see us in our, our communities. We don't get to see black businesses thrive. We don't get to see immigrant businesses thrive. We get right aids who come and, you know, and Intentionally, you can say, you know, zone themselves onto the same block as a small black business, a small black pharmacy up the street, and they put them out of business. Um, so it's like you guys are actually intentionally sending people and corporations here. We can't afford these things. But then you also tell us that we can't get the credit and we can't get the grants and we can't get the loans to build our own stuff. And then you guys on top of that are sending police to our neighborhoods to occupy us. So when we say our streets, that's what we mean. We don't want to be occupied by people anymore. We want to be able to self-govern ourselves. We want to be able to do what we want for ourselves. We want to be able to support ourselves. We want to be able to live without being, without going outside and, 
making sure that we have to pray for our sons and our daughters and our trans siblings every day. Uh, Rashid, I was just going to ask a question mm-hmm. around the... I, I don't know how much media you're seeing at, at the moment. I was just wondering what the kind of reflection from the media side of things are on both the, the sort of city level and on the national level and how maybe different it may, might be to the reality of the situation on the ground. So media is different these days. Um, for this specific time of this revolution and this liberation struggle, media is different because... Mm-hmm. For the first time, we're seeing that police and um, white folks on the, you know, on the bottom grounds, they're very into their whiteness. They're very into their capital. Um, that they're willing to actually, you know, actually abuse and be brutal to the media. Also, um, there have been several journalists all around the all around the country who have been, you know, hit, hurt, tear gas, beaten with batons here in Philadelphia. A group of a reporter was actually just beat up by a white supremacists, and the police were out there in Fishtown, and they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, um, they're just the media is is iffy because you have on one hand some, you know, the people who were out there. Of course, they're mad now, so they want to tell you this is exactly what happened. They're not trying to gatekeep, and they're not trying to like, you know, set an agenda anymore. Um, because you know, now they're involved in it. It's personal because if I get tear gassed, it becomes personal also. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, and then there, of course, is still, you know, stations like Fox and I guess you could say CNN that still push their narrative and say that this is all wrong and there are other ways to do this. Um, but I also want to put this into people's into people's minds that when you talk about protest, you're talking about resisting. So people cannot tell you how you can protest. When people get permits for protests, I get so confused because I'm like, are you asking for permission to, you know, fight for your rights or like, what is that about? <laughs> um, um, so it's really, it's really mixed here. It's really mixed now. And people are actually kind of happy about that. A lot of people specifically, the Inquirer, the Inquirer room, the black, um, I believe it was the Inquirer. Yeah, the Inquirer, their black and their people of color um, staff, they actually had a, they actually draft up their own little manifesto and they sent it to their bosses and let them know that they're not going to um, stand for certain like agenda setting and certain shaping of news. So here in Philadelphia, Things are definitely kind of turning around. However, on a national, you know, aspect, it's still like you have to fight for what's real. Um, you have to look for what's real and you have to sort through what's just bullshit. So it's mixed, but it's definitely different. It's, you know, we're getting real accounts from people um, on a local level, I feel like. Um, so, yeah. Um, I was just going to ask one more more question before I think. Vaughn was going to move on to something else, but uh, just wanted to ask the the movement that you're kind of in and the, the people you're around, how connected is that on a sort of national level? Is it more centralized to what's going on in Philadelphia or with social media, et cetera? Do, do, you, do you feel more connected to sort of the wider movement in America and beyond? Let me tell you, well, I myself, I'm a very big advocate for, so... Hmm. not saying that there aren't national calls and there aren't national meetings that happen between organizations, mm-hmm. um, but I myself am not involved in those. So speaking on that would kind of be like ill on my um, behalf and I don't want to upset anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, 
and for other like local um, for the organizers, there's been this kind of understanding that we have to focus on our surroundings first. So that's kind of what we're doing in Philadelphia, um, because back in 2016, when the Ferguson right, when the Ferguson um, uprisings happened, a lot of people traveled out of there. I mean, traveled out there um, and kind of did more damage than they did good. And we actually seen that here in our movements also, because our movements are also being infiltrated by white anarchists, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and. People say that even though they may be on our side, I mean, people can say that, oh, like, you know, they want to see you guys thrive also. Um, yeah, there's a t- but there's also a time and a place. And when you go into an organized setting where people have very clear intentions on what they're doing and you begin to um, be distracting and you begin to do things like start the looting, um, because I'm going to be very honest, they started the looting here. They did. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> You know, you set a you set a tone and you set a message for other people to see, and then those messages get blended. So our message then becomes oh, uh, I don't know. Like our message then just it just disintegrates. And it's very hard to decipher what people are outside fighting for now. Um and it that that is the part for me that becomes disheartening. I don't think anything else, like I'm kind of immune and kind of not saying that I don't feel for the the black families who get um you know whose family members are killed by police brutality, but as a black person, you're also just like you know that's a thing for us like it happens and like you know I organize around it and I do my part around it and I just try to go. But what does discourage me and other folks is when we work so hard to organize these things and we work so hard to get real information out. And you just have people come and infiltrate it and they say they're helping, but that's your own agenda. Like you coming to our to our movement and coming to our protests and coming to our calls to actions and, you know, deliberately ignoring everything that we've had outlined and you start to be belligerent and you start to do what you want to do, it's disrespectful and it becomes your own agenda and you're no longer helping us. You also become a part of the problem and it also looks like you are also against us. Um, Because again, you don't get blamed. We get blamed. Uh, Bonnie, you wanted to pick up any more questions here? Um, Yeah, I can. Um, In in kind of thinking about that that strain of thinking of um, these protests have organization behind them and they have an agenda and a point to make. Um, largely, these are being led by the Black Lives Matter group. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about the inclusion in that movement. Um, specifically, what I'm thinking of are, is the LGBTQ plus community. Um, we know that there's there's a long history, a very proud history um, within the LGBTQ community of people of color um, protesting and rioting at the Stonewall riots um, in, I believe, 69. And... Mm-hmm 
and working towards securing rights for the LGBTQ community. All of the the mo more modern movements um, towards gay rights have this history of people of color in the movement. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about what it, what this all looks like now in 2020. Um, these communities fit together. Okay. Um, let me also just say that um, people that, um, and it's no, it's no mistake, and it's no mistake, and it's just like, it's a hard, well, it is a mistake, but it's a harmless mistake, and everybody makes it, including Black people and people of color. Mm -hmm. um, when people say that the Black Lives Matter organization is like widely leading these protests, that actually um, is a fault, is actually false. Um, because again, um, there are various um, grassroots organizations who organize these different things and their names aren't attached to Black Lives Matter. Um, Black Lives Matter is, you know, it is a, you know, in, it's no different than just a Black liberation struggle. Um, I have my own kind of reserves about Black Lives Matter, like the slogan, um, because I feel like, again, on that level where there are organizations called Black Lives Matter, there are also organizations that are not. So when you have these organizations who are not um, a part of Black Lives Matter and they come and they, you know, they do their, their protests, um, they don't get the credit. Right. Whereas though, you know, people on a national level of that, well, of those organizations are getting the credit. And I don't think that's right because that also, again, takes from a lot of the different organizations and a lot of the different programs and initiatives that low level, um, you know, organizers are doing to try to help our communities because people then start to donate to this national fund who doesn't redistribute any resources to um, Black Lives Matter Philly or the Black and Brown um, Workers Collective or Philly for Real Justice. And, you know, there's, so it doesn't, become any change on local levels or state levels. So, um, and then also there's just this thing with aesthetic. Because as I spoke earlier, people come out to these protests, but I don't think that people really understand what they're protesting for. Um, because again, if you're walking in solidarity with the um, Black Radical Collective of Philadelphia, then that means that you're trying to abolish the police and defund the police. Um, I've seen images and I've seen videos in Philly in real time of people kneeling with the police. And I've never been more fucking confused in my life. Um, I've never been so taken aback and I've also just never been so nerved. Um, like, I'm not sure if you, you, Gracie actually brought it up, like the street, um, that was just, you know, the Black Lives Matter Avenue or street or whatever the hell it is. It's like a slap in the face because it's like, we're like, hey, we want liberation. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's just give you a street. And I'm like, well, there's not even any royalties off the street name. Like what, like what the fuck is that? Oh, like, how is that helping us? Like, it doesn't help us. Like, they've named so many streets after racists and rapists in the United States. Like, a street name isn't shit. Um, like, it's nothing. Um, but... You don't so want I, another Martin Luther King Ave, or...? 
Yeah, like, you know, like, people get killed under Martin Luther King Ave. You know, like, black people get killed. Like, so I just, I don't, I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, um, it make more sense under JFK Boulevard, but, um, you know, <laughs> like, Martin Luther King Boulevard, come on, y'all. Um, what about Rashid Boulevard? You know, we won't have any deaths in my name under there. <laughs> none, none. Um, please riot if they give me my own street name. <laughs> um, I got you. Okay, hold it down. Um, so I just wanted to make that quick little, like, you know, that quick kind of like different, like not like difference, but just call attention that there's an aesthetic and then there's actual people who are actually doing the work. Um, but again, please feel free to continue to chant Black Lives Matter because they do, they absolutely do. Um, as far as where um black, queer, and trans people fit into this movement, um, there's no other way to say this, but they are the movement. Um, we are the movement. I myself am a black queer. A lot of the other organizers who sit at the top of this collective, I spoke to you guys about are black, queer, trans, and gender nonconforming people. Um, they're the ones who are studying this black radical feminist theory who are making these demands and making sure they align with these books that people are reading, these theories that people have created, these actions that people have taken in the past to liberate ourselves. Um, again, she talked about um, Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha P. Johnson led the Stonewall riots. Um, a lot of Black people who are cis and um, hetero always ask, well, you guys always want to be included and always want to make sure that we like, you know, verbally include you guys. But I'm like, yeah, but y'all don't understand that we've been here and done that, baby. Like we've marched and we fought for a group of people successfully before. So when you try to like, you know, keep us X'd out, you're not doing anything but hurting our entire community. We know what we're doing. Like we read the literature and we read the text. That is, like, part of the biggest issue that I have with people is that people are quick to denounce something. And I'm like, you can't denounce something when there are literally tons of books on this that all validate each other. Like, it doesn't work. Like, and it becomes very apparent when I know that people aren't doing the work and they're just making vague assumptions while laying in their fucking bed watching Pornhub. I don't, like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like, because you couldn't possibly be doing anything else. Like, I just don't understand what people are doing making like weird assumptions saying that black and trans people don't belong in a movement or that we're looking for attention when in fact like no like you guys are sitting at our table like whether it been marsha p johnson or miss major or people in the motherlands um black trans queer and gender non-conforming people have always existed and not only in africa but also um you know in the americas before um colonization in asia um, probably actually everywhere before colonization. <laughs> um, that's a very, binary is a very, not necessarily newer thing, but I would say following imperialism and colonization is a fairly new thing to all of these different groups of people around the world. Um, and they don't even know, and they don't even know that because a lot of our histories, of course, have been very Europeanized and very Westernized. Um, so we don't get to know exactly who we are. We don't get to know exactly who's, who's actually been at the core of these movements. Um, um, Rustin, he was actually one of the key people in the civil rights movements and he doesn't get credit for anything. 
They like to share that he was arrested for having sex, you know, publicly in a car. Um, but they also don't like to share that he was, you know, actually exonerated for that um, and how much work he put into the civil rights movement. He was actually one of the hearts and one of the key, you know, key leaders in it. So it's like when you're not bringing up these people, it's intentional and it becomes an agenda and people don't do this type of studying intentionally because you can't sit here and tell me you don't know something when you have a $900 phone in your pocket and Google works perfectly on it. <laughs> it doesn't work. And a lot of these people that I've noticed too, Gracie, Gracie can definitely attest. We went to LaSalle together. A lot of people act so confused at LaSalle, but we had access to an entire database and you girlies did no reading. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. We had access to databases. On my own free time, I used to use that database. I'm, I fucking miss it. Like, I fucking miss having access to all that literature. Uh, like, they don't understand how easy, not necessarily easy they have it, but how much resource they don't take advantage of in school. So then when I have to, like, I'm not going to say coddle because I don't coddle anybody. Um, um, when I have, like, then babysit you and sit you down and say, okay, so this is what this is, and this is what this is. When there was preliminary work that you could have been doing before you came into these different organizations and before you came to these different meetings, making your wild-ass assumptions saying that we don't exist and we don't belong, you should have did the reading, boo. And I'm not going to argue with you about it. Gracie already knows I'm very good at just block with telling people something and then blocking them. Yes, you are. I'm very good with just blocking comments and not responding. I'm very also good at leaving comments up and not responding. <laughs> Because I'm arguing with people about what facts are. And more often than not, I cite my sources and I give people books to read. I give people links. Like, I don't just, you know, we don't just spew information and don't cite people. And I think that specifically, Gracie, is another good point, is that these people have always existed in these movements. Um, my people, LGBTQ+, Black people have always existed in these movements, but they haven't been cited. And because they haven't been respected for so long, um, and we've been, treat we've been told to treat these people like they're other, we've been able to just steal their ideas, we've been able to just claim things that they've done as their own, and we've been able to just kill them and just disregard them. Um, I have to also add that amongst the list of people who died um, by police brutality was Tony McDade. Um, and that was two, three days after George Floyd was killed. And he was killed for defending himself. Like, a group of people actually were beating on him, and people actually live-streamed his beating. And nobody did anything about that. Hmm. Um, and when I and that's not just that. Like, I'm not one for Black-on-Black -black crime conversations, but when it comes to trans and queer lives, we have to talk about how cis- Hetero black folks are very quick to not only disrespect and disregard trans and queer and gender nonconforming lives, but they're also quick to kill us. Um, you know, there's a very extensive list of people who have, like, you know, people of color and black people specifically who have been killed just for existing. Trans people, trans women, black trans women specifically have been killed. They're the leaders. They're the leaders. There's a very disproportionate ratio of black trans women who get killed to their other counterparts. And even myself, even other black queer men, don't speak up enough. We don't speak up enough, we don't give them the voice that they deserve. Um, we don't give them the rightful spots as leaders of this community. Um, which is why I, I'm not sure, if, I know, I'm sure Gracie shared with you guys that I wanted to bring my sibling on here, um, Erica. 
Um, but right now it's a little rough for them right now because they're actually pregnant. They're six months pregnant. It's COVID going on outside. There's a revolution going on outside. My sis has to stay in the house and make sure that they're protected. So, so, um, um, but that was one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to make sure that they were in on this conversation because I have to make sure that I am making sure that I can lend my voice, well, lend my privilege where it counts. And. That's kind of why I've always been, because Gracie will tell you, I have very few friends. In this I have very few um, and that's one of the reasons why I can actually call Gracie my friend, even if we don't speak that much. Um, I can call her my friend because she checks in. Um, she's always donating. Outside of revel- outside of moments like these, Gracie is actively like teaching her timeline and her family about what's going on. Um and lifting up the voices of, you know, black trans people, brown trans people, brown queer people, black queer people, myself, um, just black people in general, people of color in general, disabled people, fat people. She has a voice and she understands her privilege and she uses it and I can appreciate it. Um, and I'm not saying that this is like a kudos because I think this is just a human thing. I think everybody's supposed to do it. But when somebody is doing it and they're not just doing it for aesthetic, I have to appreciate it and I have to um, see that. Um, and so Gracie, specifically to you, I want to, you know, just say thank you and I appreciate you and I love you a whole lot for that. Um, but yeah, and that's like why I wanted my, my sibling here. Um, because again, like this is, this isn't just me. It's not just me speaking for everybody. Um, people have to be able to speak for themselves and people have to understand where people come into this movement at. Thank you for saying those things. And I appreciate you as well. And I do love you. And I'm very happy to have you here on this podcast because I think your voice is one of the only ones that that I could think of that would be so perfect to talk to about these things that are happening, um, especially with within Philly and within the, the queer community. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being here and using your voice. So what would you guys say to, you know, because initially you had the Minneapolis police, local police, actually condemning George Floyd and supporting the officers, but that quickly dissipated as the, the, the video became much more widely available to people. And you even had Donald Trump condemning what happened. What would you say to the distinction that the right wing press has been able to make between the death of George Floyd and then the looting that that's going on right now. Hmm. That that for me, I don't know. I think that because even when things happen, we have to understand that his. We have to understand that these things aren't necessarily why they don't become accepted. Again, it's because there's actions being taken place. Um. They did, you know, they did the, the the autopsy and they tried to say that if he was just a little bit more healthy, he wouldn't have died after being mm-hmm. choked for 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make sense. And you see how these people tried to make these connections and it just doesn't, I don't know a soul who could be choked for 12 minutes, I mean, for two minutes, let alone 12 minutes, who wouldn't like die. Yeah. <laughs> so like when people make these connections, like it's hard to answer questions like that because I'm just like, I... Like, you know, I can't see anything past, like, people just blatantly lying on television. Like, they're trying to throw stones and then hide their hands when, you know, shit gets rough. 
So now that all these actions are taking place and shit is getting destroyed and your shit is being destroyed um, and you can't get this money back, it's like now you're realizing that we actually have some type of power and effect and some type of control over you because we're your consumer. And if we start stealing your shit rather than buying your shit, you don't have anything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, and I'm not going to say stealing our shit because don't put something in the middle of a of a of a fucking poor neighborhood and then tell them they can't have it. Like what kind of what kind of shit is that? Like it's it it becomes mind games as well. Like you know it becomes like very mental as much as it is physical. <laughs> and you know both of those together just leads to emotion. So I just can't even see past like the lies and how they try to like you know then come out and denounce things after they've already tried so hard to lie it. To like even answer that question. So um I don't know, Gracie, if you kind of want to like speak a little bit more to that too, and if anybody else wants to speak to that more too, I'm all for it. Please yeah, don't just, think you guys have to be silent. Just uh, before that, after the autopsy, you, you also had people on Fox News on the five perhaps saying that there was a conspiracy that the officer and, and um George Floyd actually worked as both had worked as security guards at at a club mm-hmm. and that potentially there was some um uncomfortable goings on at the club that meant that the security guard had to rub uh george floyd out and it was much much more of a sort of a criminal conspiracy connected hit than it was you know an act of police brutality which has obviously been widely refuted because they don't they didn't know each other at all so so there was this this attempt to Mm. do something like that and to undermine the 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 cause of anti-racism in this um particular event but I think that a lot of the right wing attack has been trying to distinguish between protests and, say, the looting that, that that's been going on. And um, it, it's because it's almost everyone has um, refuted the the actual incident itself. It's it, it, it's impossible. It's almost impossible to not to. The, the guy was just tortured and, and, and murdered in front of everybody's mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah, but then the 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 where the um where the media and I th- I think political conflict goes to is that you get people like Tom Cotton writing in the New York Times that we need really powerful repression. We need to bring in the army to repress these um, looters. Uh, and and also even Tom Cotton is making the distinction between Floyd and the looters, but it's. It's that point where things start to get weighty now, I think. And please remember, um, I, just please remember that, not you guys, but people who are listening, please remember that in the midst of all this, again, as we've emphasized, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So mm-hmm. when you're in the middle of a pandemic and you already have little and there's nothing that you can do, the rich shouldn't be telling me how I can survive. All those people who make all of those statements on Fox and CNN News have way more money than I'll have ever seen in my fucking life. So when you get on national TV and you say shit like that, it's fucking insulting. Um, and it just lets me know that you have, A, no couth, um, <laughs> B, no culture, and then C, you have no regard for just lives in general. Um, because just black people aren't poor. Um, so yeah. So please remember there's a pandemic and that looting, um, COVID and Black Lives Matter and all of that are connected in different ways, um, on different, you know, socio 
constructive ways and shit. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm not respectable. So I don't really, you know, I don't really care to know language that much. That was fantastic. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's really clear that COVID is really on earth something that we all knew. Like people with information, economy, jobs can do their jobs from home. And then people who are sort of lower in the socioeconomic spectrum who actually have to go to their places of work have been furloughed or, or have been fired completely. And it's really made clear that, 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 that you know, we're, we're living in almost like a sort of neo-feudalism at the moment with, with mm-hmm. ethnic minorities and um, people who are not gender not conforming, people in sort of more... Um, difficult situations are feeling the brunt of, of, of this and, and also are, are some of the most people who are getting the COVID virus at, at the highest rates. So, and so yeah, it's, 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 it's a confluence of, of forces that, it, that, that the spark was um, the murder of George Floyd, but it, it, it does seem to, to, to be representative of what's happening in society at large right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, um, I just want to ask Rashid one more question. Um, What kind of steps would you recommend for our listeners to take at the moment? I mean, beyond educating yourself, like themselves, um, whoever needs to listen, is is there anything that you would specifically recommend um, for our listeners to do? Yes, I want people to just start being honest. Um, so I want people to start being honest at a very at a very young level. I want people to start being honest with young people at very very early ages and very early stages in their lives. Um, I knew black people from black people from I guess you can say maybe from the moment we can I guess grab those different I guess you can say um, constructs and things like that. We know from a very early age that we're black, and we know from a very early age how we're supposed to quote unquote act around other people. Other people don't get that. Um, other people don't get that as much as we do. Um, so I want people to start realizing how they're, how they kind of socialize young people to confront race hinders progression in the long run. Um, because again, you have people, I'm not going to say that people who can't, grasp why Black Lives Matter are necessarily racist. But the statement in itself is inherently racist. Um, And the fact that you, of course, haven't had this conversation with people or people have, you know, robbed you of these conversations, it's sad, but it's still work that has to be done. So to keep that from happening, I need these same people who have all this energy for Black Lives to have that energy with their kids with their families, with their friends, with their employers. I need them to keep this energy everywhere. We need to make sure that we are being active in all different spaces and making sure that microaggressions and marginalization does not happen in spaces that we occupy every day. Um, I myself, um, it wasn't wasn't a bad problem at all, Um, but I was at work. I mean, you know, I work for um, a nonprofit here in Philadelphia, um, and it's around the 26th police district. 
And the 26th Police District had the incident that I told you guys about where they allowed residents of Fishtown to just essentially just terrorize protesters and terrorize um, folks in the neighborhood and actually beat a reporter. Um, so a lot of the different organizations in the neighborhood or around the area have been making statements saying that they're not, you know, they're condemning the actions of the police officers. Um, and they want to start, you know, they want to have these conversations and they want to make sure that black lives um, are protected as much as possible because of course this, you know, we want this to be a city of, um, you know, racial, you know, just in general, like intra-racial love and acceptance. Like I, you know, I think that we need all races to liberate ourselves. Like, I don't think that after I get liberation for Black people, there's still work that needs to be done for Hispanic people. But I can only work on myself right now. Um, like, you know, I'm only one person. Like, I can't, you know, pour into others if I don't, if I'm not full. Um, and so basically, essentially, so basically what ended up happening was our organization decided they wanted to do a statement. Um, so the first statement essentially wrapped it up basically saying that we're going to be, begin having these conversations, which I thought was perfect because if we haven't been previously having these conversations, this is the start to a conversation. Though, again, as we've spoken earlier, there's a difference between getting news and media and having conversations on a national level and getting news and media and having these conversations on a local level. Um, in neighborhoods... In Philadelphia, like Gracie knows, neighborhoods in Philadelphia are very polarized. So you can either be down Rittenhouse Square and you think that, like, you know, it's the most bougiest and most, um, I guess you can say, upper echelon of cities in America. Or you can be where I'm from um, and understand that, you know, it's poverty. Like, you know, tourists don't see the poverty. <laughs> so the 20, you know, Fishtown is primarily white. <laughs> so... They don't have the same issues that we have. They don't see these issues. They don't get. They don't pick up on the different messages that I see all the time that I think could be reworded and rephrased. Um, and that's okay, but somebody has to make sure that they're calling them out on that shit. Um, and another coworker at my job said that this was a conversation that was only going on. So the board president ended up changing it um, to say that we will continue to have these conversations. I thought that it was out of term, and I thought that it was out of um, her right to ask her to change it, um, because A, as me being one of the only um, few, you know, people of color in the organization, well, not people of color, but Black people specifically in the organization, I felt as though, as a white woman, you shouldn't tell somebody that they've been having a conversation um, when you know that on a very neighborhood and a very local level, this neighborhood has not been having that conversation. This neighborhood has been focused on zoning. This neighborhood has been focused focused on traffic, you know, traffic, um, putting streetlights up, um, you know, gentrification. We can say that we've been concerned about all of those things, but we have not been concerned about police antagonization of Black folks. Um, so yeah, my, you know, the board president took everything that I said, she understood it and she changed it back, like without a question. Um, so I think that again, we have to make sure that we're speaking up because we cannot allow people to give their side of events when they're the ones who are, you know, committing these terrors onto us. Like you cannot tell me that you don't, that something that you told me doesn't offend me. Like you're not black. It doesn't work. Like, if I made a joke about 
I don't even know what I would make a joke about. If I made a joke about rape, I'm a sexual assault survivor myself. I can't tell Gracie, a woman who it would, you know, primarily affect how she should take that joke. <laughs> like, I can't tell her that. It doesn't work. It looks stupid and it looks ridiculous. Um... So, yeah, I just want people to understand they need to have start having these conversations with their kids early on. And people need to understand that this is not just a moment. And this need this energy, it needs to be exerted in different areas that we occupy every day. It's not just on a government level. Um, it's on a very interpersonal level as well. Um, so we need to make sure that we're taking heed to that and noting that and calling that shit out as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, if, if I may just add a, a few housekeeping things, um, anyone who's listening in Philadelphia, um, Rashid mentioned this earlier, that the city's proposed budget is, um, up for review in the coming weeks, I believe this week, actually, this upcoming week, uh, and they are planning to, um, defund community service programs and defund the police oversight committee. And they're planning to give funds, exorbitant funds to the police at this prime moment. Um, If you feel so moved and feel it is right, please write to Philadelphia city council members. I'll post the link on my Twitter and you can DM me for a letter. If you don't want to write your own, um, but I do have that. And some of the literature that Rashid was talking about, um, I have some bibliography that I'm going to be sharing on my Twitter. Um, I believe it's at Von Joy on Twitter. So if you need any literature or you want any resources to share with other people to help educate them on these issues, um, please feel free to go to my Twitter and go to that thread and add to the thread if you have other books or literature to share with it. Thank you for that, Vaughn. Um, Toby, I don't know if you got any more questions for Rashid. I've just got one before we, we close up. Um, oh, no, I, I don't have any other questions. Um, Rashid, I, I know this is, <laughs> there's so much kind of more important immediately, immediate stuff happening right now. Absolutely. C- could, I, could I just ask a question looking ahead to November? Are, is the election in any way in your conscious uh, at this moment in time? Do you have any thoughts on Joe Biden as a candidate. I mean, I think we can all guess your thoughts on President <laughs> Donald Trump. Um, c- c- do you have any thoughts right now, or is it kind of? I don't have thoughts. I don't endorse candidates. Um, I've learned that endorsing candidates doesn't do much. Um, I don't think that he's all bad, but I don't. I that's, let me say something. If I didn't vote for a black woman, if I wasn't giving my support to a black woman. Um, I'm definitely not giving my support to a white man. So that should tell you about how my politics are. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I do want people to understand that um, voting is a choice. Um, people didn't die to vote. People die for you to have the freedom and the choice to vote. Um, so don't let anybody shame you. Don't let anybody guilt you. If you're not into the whole... Um, the lesser of two evils things, I'm right with you. Um, I have not, I just, for the first time, 
in my since 18 so what am i about to turn 24 this month so for the six for the first time in six years i have not casted my vote um in a in this primary election um and it wasn't because i didn't want to it's because of little things like not making sure when you send out an absentee ballot you put all the materials inside there that people need to put them in and then when i call you don't tell me that I have to travel 5.1 miles across the city to come get a material that you should have sent in my absentee ballot. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, that's it's real time. And people can say it's not, but it's real time. Like that time in another in the last election that I voted in, I forget which one it was. Um, I forget which it, I forget which election it was, but this time and another time. I had been, I guess you could say suppressed. The other time my vote did cast, I had to um, fill out an emergency one because they couldn't find my information at my polling place, which was just weird to me because I had all the confirmation. Um, and you know, with those type of polls, you don't always get counted, but I was happy to know that I did get a um, piece of mail telling me that my vote was counted in that one. Um, and yeah, for this one, it just, with so much going on and with the National Guard occupying Philadelphia, there's no possible way you could tell me to travel across Philadelphia and out the comfort of my home um, to go walk past the National Guard and perhaps bring them coffee, maybe, um, and, you know, come to come get a fucking piece of paper um, that you should have sent me. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make sense. So people have to understand that when people aren't voting, there are different reasons. There are elderly people who cannot get out the house. There are people with chronically with chronical illnesses and disabled people who can't get out the house. Um, single mothers can't pick up their kids, make dinners, and cast their ballot at the same time. And people can say be proactive and mail in their absentee ballots, but I don't know what single mother is worried about voting and not paying her bills. Um, so you know, again, there's just so many different instances where we're telling these people they need to do something and that voting is the only way it works. Mm -hmm. um, and let's keep in mind, Joe Biden was who's um, vice president? Um, and who died? Who died in 2012 under the Obama administration? And Obama didn't address it. Trayvon mm -hmm. Martin, he's, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement started while, <laughs> while, while he was entering his second term. So, so when people tell me that Voting counts and it matters. Um, no, it 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 doesn't always because we've gotten I think more accomplished for Philadelphia in the past week with just getting the Mayor Rizzo statue removed, which went up in 1998, and people have been actively fighting for that since 1998. Um, getting that removed in just one week of protesting, it tells you how much that people listen to you when you want shit. Um, so many school districts have told, um, you know, their states and their cities that they're no longer going to have police, you know, presence in their school districts. Um, so, again, like, the shit that we're doing on the ground is more than what a man in an office signing bills is doing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. people have to be very aware and be very critical when they say things and they try to shame people for not voting. Mm -hmm. um, but... I didn't answer your question. I gave you the answer I wanted, which was I don't feature <laughs> Joe Biden, uh, but I don't really feature any um, any candidate. Um, so you know, because everybody has their own agenda. Politics is a very dirty game. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, I always used to say I wanted to be the first black president. Not only did Obama ruin that, but he also taught me I would never want to be president. Uh-huh. Um, so thank you, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but on the plus side, I think you'd look great in a tan suit. So Okay. Um, you've seen pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Von Von described you uh, very very elegantly. <laughs> um, I think that's probably unless is uh, anyone got any more questions? I don't kind of don't want to shut anyone down, especially on this topic. But uh, if we don't have any more questions, I guess we'll I, probably close up there. I do have one question for everybody. Sure. Um, everybody doesn't have to answer, but I do want at least a response from somebody. Um, what do you guys think that you guys can do? Like. Um, people who aren't black, white people specifically. Um, what do you guys think is your role in this, and what do you guys think that you can do to help aid us and help support us? Well, you know, I am black, so yeah. you, you people. Uh, have to the <laughs> <question>. <laughs> um, I guess for for myself, that's maybe a, a not an easy question to answer, but a very good one to ask. I think. Uh, for myself, it would probably be along the lines of trying to um, communicate to those in power where I can and uh, to advocate change and to try and boost the signal of those people who are advocating change where I can as well and to try and make my voice as... Um, if my voice is allowed, to make sure it's an informed one, but for the most part, to try and listen to actually get some better understanding of the situation i think from listening to yourself rashid from the last hour or so i think it it highlighted some of my ignorance and some of my uh, lack of knowledge on some of these things and uh, i think a first step is as you say trying to educate myself a bit further and then beyond that try and uh, help those where i can to try and uh, make some positive change that might, might seem a very generic political answer for you but i'm afraid i don't have anything better on that and you know that's good and that it's honest it's exactly what i'm saying you recognize that you don't know anything and it's not good so like just in general like seeing seeing that you have a guest on here speaking about something and then you say that you don't you know know something it it speaks mm-hmm. so that's an okay answer for me um you know i'm cool with it do you want my answer yeah okay <laughs> Um, well, of course I know your answer, but I do want your answer for everybody else who doesn't know, um, you know, because I do think Gracie, again, I do think that you're a little more proactive than most people are. Um, and when I say little proactive, I'm being, um, I'm kind of minimizing it. I do think that you use your voice and you use not just your voice, but your tools and your resources, (laughs) you know? So again, um, yeah, I do think that it's important that people know what you do. Thank you. Um, th- things that I that I try to do um, that Rashid is mentioning. Oh, this feels uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> but things that I try to do um, every day for the last ten days, I've I've woken up outraged and wrote an outraged letter before I even had my coffee to a congressman or representative, governor, attorney general, MP over here. Um, Any British people listening, if you need a letter to your MPs about the UK government supplying the US with tear gas and riot gear, uh, please hit up my DMs and I will send you a letter um, to send to your MPs. Anyway, um, I 
like Simon said, I try to correspond with those in power um, with my opinions and research backing my opinions. Um, I use my academic credentials. This is something I was talking to a friend about this week um, that a lot of women uh, who write to their representatives who are educated women tend to not use their academic letters after their name out of embarrassment. Um, but you earned that. Mm -hmm. And your voice that you are speaking with mm -hmm. and your opinions and your research matter even more to these people because like they will give it more weight. Not that your opinion matters more, but your research matters. Absolutely. Uh, and they, they will give it credence if you use your letters. So any academics out there who feel embarrassed to use their credentials, you slap that on that letter right at the end, MA, MPhil, PhDC. That's, especially if you're a historian, I have mine as MA, MPhil, American History, PhDC, um, when I'm writing to American politicians, because then they'll know that I'm coming at this with research probably that in a lot of cases is deeper than their own and their own knowledge about their own positions. Um, so use those. Um, with my research, I, like Rashid said, I try to educate people, um, in my timeline, in my friend groups, in my family, and I always give receipts. I give my citations. I post bibliographies every once in a while on, on Facebook just to get people educated, um, to educate themselves. And I call them out when they spread fake news or ignorant arguments. Um, yep. And I think that that's what we need to be doing is calling out our friends and family, make them feel uncomfortable for their passive racism yeah. or their active racism, because mm -hmm. a lot of people are actively racist and don't even know it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's, on, it's on white people to call out white people because these racist white people will listen to other white people. Mm -hmm. Um. What else? Bail funds. Yes. They are fucking important. Yeah. <laughs> they are extremely important. Use whatever resources you have. There is a um, video on YouTube that is giving all of its donations to Black Lives Matter organizations. Um, and in the links or in the comments beneath that video are petitions that you can sign for various uh purposes around the us and around the world i think um i will also post the the link to the playlist that i made so that it can continuously earn money from the ad revenue um i'll post that on my twitter later uh if you can't if you don't have the the funds at the moment which a lot of us don't we're in a pandemic if you don't have the funds to donate you can play a youtube playlist in the background of your computer um all day long I'd just also like to attest that um, with uh, with Vaughn's great letter, uh, I uh, sort of use that as a template to contact uh, my local MP, and I'd like to thank Vaughn for kind of prompting me on that and for uh, allowing me to sort of um, a prompt to, to take an action around uh, making sure that uh, a voice is heard uh, or attempted to be heard with regards to 
the UK selling um, uh, basically uh, what tear gas and uh, rubber bullets and everything else that's getting right. shipped over to America. So thank you for that, <coughs> thank you for that, Vaughn. Um, and again, just from that prompt, you know, I made a, a small donation to a um, to a uh, Black Lives Matter um, organization. So I think it, it's important with people who like yourself, Rashid, and like yourself, Vaughn, who are so educated on this matter to prompt maybe the uh, less educated of us or um, less um, um, prompted uh, previously to, to actually get our finger out and actually start making some contributions. So thank you, Vaughn, for that, for your assistance with that. Um, There's just one last thing that I wanted to add. Absolutely. Me, Simon. Um, I just said to use your voice to white racists and absolutely white people use your voices mm -hmm. because they'll listen to you, but know when you are using it and know the platform that you are using because if the audience of that platform will listen to a person of color's voice, you elevate their voice and you give them that platform exactly. and invite them to speak with their own experiences and opinions. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yep. And I was going to say that I think that um, I want Gracie to speak. I wanted this Gracie to speak was because um, a lot of times when you ask people, um, this is this will be my closing thought. Um, a lot of times when you ask people what they're doing, they get very vague um, answers and they're just saying, oh, like we're, we're I'm trying to give a voice. And I'm like, but what are you doing? Like, you know, mm -hmm. like that's not telling me what you're doing. Um, so when Gracie speaks, she can tell people what it is she's doing. She can tell people where it is she's, um, making people uncomfortable at. She can tell people what it is, um, what, what, what resources and what citations and what bibliographies and books and texts she's referred people to. People can't tell me that. And that's when I, so when people start to, again, kind of give like politicized answers and, um, just general um, I just try to give them a voice. I know it's bullshit. Um, so I wanted people to see what an answer is. Um, and that's the answer. And again, Gracie, I just, again, I have to thank you. And I have to thank everybody of this platform for doing just, and again, this, what you guys are doing right now is an action. Like Gracie said, you're giving the floor. Um, you guys have stopped your whole operation today. You had something completely different planned. You stopped your whole operation and brought me on here to like lead the discussion and give my ideas without giving me any pushback. Mm -hmm. That was an action that all three of you committed and you did, and it's worked. And this is what is supposed to be done. So I have to commend you for allowing me to have this space and having this floor and um having this discussion with the people. Um, who can, I mean, you know, who needs to have this discussion, which is your, your following base. Um, so again, I thank you. And this has been amazing. And this has been a really good experience for me. Um, and I want to say that nobody made me uncomfortable here today. So I'm very happy about that because I've definitely had conversations after, um, inter actually on interviews where people have said really weird things. And I'm like, yeah, don't say that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so again, thank you. Um, and this was really great. Um, well, th thank you, Rashid. Um, do, I don't know if you want to give a shout out to any sort of social media platforms or anything people can follow you at on. Oh, yeah, cool. So um, you can follow me on um, my 
I guess you could say more organized my organizers page. Um, that one is going to be Freedom Join. So that's at P H R E E D O M J A W N. Um, and then you can also follow me on Twitter at that same that same tag, and then also follow my podcast, The Girls Room, which is T H E G W O R L Z O. I mean R O O M. Um, and that podcast is just essentially where me and my sibling, we get together and we just talk shit. We talk shit um, about whether it be politics, um, what's going on in pop culture, or a lot of times we like to talk about sex. So if any of you girls are kinky, I'm holler. <laughs> 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 Uh, thank you, Rashid. It's been a, a real pleasure speaking to you today and um, a real, um, well, as positive as you can get out of these types of situations. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And I appreciate you all. Um, I guess that's the end of this episode um, from Toby, from Vaughn, from, from Rashid, uh, from myself, Simon. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, p- please, if you can take whatever action uh, you can even if it's just listening to people like Rashid, like Vaughn, like Toby, people who actually have um, uh, an intelligent voice um, even if that's the first step you take, that is something at least. Um, We'll have a a new episode in the near future of this podcast and um, yeah, until then, try and keep safe and uh, we'll have a a new episode uh, hopefully with you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.